Welcome to Walking in Faith with Pastor Rob Currington. This podcast is dedicated to helping develop lifelong seekers of the Kingdom of God. Each week, Pastor Rob helps bring God's message for living to those seeking a richer and more Christ-filled life. Now let's join Pastor Rob as he shares this week's message. Take your Bibles, if you would, and turn to James chapter 5. We are getting near to the end of our study in James. It's been an 18-week or so journey as we're just looking at what James has to tell us today. Money can't buy happiness. I know that's going to be a newsflash to many of you, but in James chapter 5, we're going to explore why that is the case. As we've looked up to this point, James encourages us to keep the right perspective in mind when making decisions and living our lives. That's where we've been at the last few weeks. Scriptures encourages us that we are to be wise stewards and to plan for the future as we acknowledge the sovereignty and providence of God in all things. James has warned the Jewish believers about upsurfing the role of God by judging people according to their own standards, and to be careful in presuming on the providence of God with arrogant boasting. Last week, James warned wealthy merchants about their boastful arrogance, while this week, James is going to pronounce judgment on wealthy landowners who are guilty of exploitation and social economic oppression of the poor. Instead of wealthy believers, James is turning his attention to wealthy non-Christians as we look at the language here is not the actions of those who profess Christ, but actions of those who actually deny Him. They are not condemned for wealth, but for its misuse for selfish purposes. So here we come to James chapter 5. Read along with me quietly in verses 1 through 6 where he writes, Come now, you rich... Weep and howl for the miseries that are coming upon you. Your riches have rotted and your garments are moth-eaten. Your gold and silver have corroded and their corrosion will be evidence against you and will eat your flesh like fire. You have laid up treasures in the last days. Behold, the wages of the laborers who mowed your fields, which you kept back by fraud, are crying out against you and the cries of the harvesters have reached the ears of the Lord of hosts. You have lived on the earth in luxury and in self-indulgence. You have fattened your hearts in the day of slaughter. You have condemned and murdered the righteous person. He does not resist you. Father, thank you for this section of James, written by the Holy Spirit, by James, for their benefit and for ours. In it is are the words of life. And Father, as I speak, I pray that you would bless the study and the effort that went into it. Lord, let me speak your words, not my own. Give us wisdom to know when it's my opinion and differentiate between the true words of God. And Father, I pray as we hear that your Spirit would take these words and they'll plant them in the hearts of those. Let us not quench the Spirit with any of our actions and our attitudes this morning. Father, I pray that we would respond to your word. In your name we pray. Amen. James writes here in verse 1, Come now, you rich, he says, weep and howl for the miseries that are coming upon you. The words weep and howl refer back 
to the Old Testament prophets who use that very language to pronounce that judgment awaits those who rebel against God. So James is going back into his history, into his heritage, and using those words and says, howl and weep, or howl and weep and wail. These are the words that you await judgment. Judgment is coming for you. In this case, he's saying, listen up, be aware. One day you'll face judgment. You're living your lives as if one day you'll never stand before a holy God. And that's how many people still live their lives today. Jesus himself had warned in Luke chapter 6 when he said, Woe to you who are rich, for you have received your consolation. Woe to you who are full now, for you shall be hungry. Woe to you who laugh now, for you shall mourn and weep. In other words, you may have all that you need now. You may be storing it up, but one day those riches will fail you. And the things that you have now will not be made available. And they'll give you no advantage in the future. Though life may be good now, he's saying it's not always going to be. The problem or sin that James is warning about here, as you look at your monitor, if you're making notes here, the problem or the sin that they're struggling here is the pursuit of wealth without any regard for others or for God. They have no regard for God. Their aim is to pursue wealth at all costs. They want to just raise it up and keep back all that they have. Look at verses 2 and 3. There's the indictment. He says, Your riches have rotted and your garments are moth-eating. Your gold and silver have corroded and their corrosion will be evident against you and you will eat the flesh like fire. These rich people have a problem of hoarding their money. They were not generous, just like the rich fool that we read of in our scripture, reading who thought to himself, what should I do? I have so much, I must tear down my barns and build bigger ones. And I will store all my grain. And he says, soul, you have ample goods laid out for many years. Now it's time to relax and eat and drink, be merry. But what that rich fool didn't understand is these people in this time didn't realize that their life is a vapor. And just as life is a vapor, riches itself is transitory. It's here today and gone tomorrow. Most of us understand that. We get paid on Friday and then the money's gone by Saturday. In Job we read that man wastes away like a rotten thing, like a garment that is moth-eaten. Whether it's life or worldly goods, they all become waste. The tense where he says, you have done this, this the words have, it shows certainty that they will fail. And not only will they fail, but his wealth will also stand as a witness against him. It will stand against him and accuse him before the judgment throne. Not only will it not bring him any comfort or any advantage, it'll wind up being the very accuser before him. You see, these rich landowners have false priorities, and they have no concern about meeting the needs of the others, just as the rich fool did also. The problem is not with their wealth or making money or wise investments. The problem is in their hearts. We must understand that there's nothing wrong with investments. There's nothing wrong with making money. But hoarding it and having false priorities is... It shows your heart 
Take your Bibles, if you would, and turn to Matthew chapter 6. And you'll see this very clearly as Jesus is warning those disciples and those who are following him about the dangers of money and what money tells about the person. Look at Matthew chapter 6. If you're with me in verse 19, he says, Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. He says, do not lay up those types of treasures, but lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, you know the rest of it, what? There is your heart. The Old Testament prophet Ezekiel had written in his book, they cast their silver into streets and their gold is like an unclean thing. Their silver and gold are not able to deliver them in the day of the wrath of the Lord. They cannot satisfy their hunger or fill their stomachs with it, for it was a stumbling block of their iniquity. Money will not help you escape the coming judgment. In reality, it will expose your heart for the evil and the sin and the rebellion that resides there. Trusting and hoarding in wealth deprives others by not sharing and meeting the needs of others. This is the accusation that will be clearly directed towards these wealthy people. Because they're not meeting the needs of others. That's the very definition of ministry and loving your neighbors. God gives us money to meet our needs. Yes, He does, to meet our family needs, to help us provide for those things. But He also provides it so that we may help meet the needs of others. It's not just for our own use. And let me tell you something, that's something very clear that we need to understand. It's not about how much we make with our money, it's how we think of the money we have. You can be poor and still be someone who's laying up treasures in your heart, who is a hoarder and doesn't meet the needs of others and is selfish with your money. Generosity is an attitude that trusts God. And that's going to be the accusations against these people who hoard their money and use it for their own benefit. When James writes to them, you have laid up treasures in the last days, that's an important phrase. And it's a phrase that many of us have forgotten that we live in. This is referring to the time before the day of the Lord. The day of the Lord is when Christ returns and judgment awaits when we'll stand before God. But the time we are living in now, we're waiting for Christ's return. These are the last days. It is a time to build up God's kingdom and not our own. Jesus tells us to use our wealth to make friends. In Luke 16, 9, he says, I tell you, make friends for yourself by means of unrighteous wealth, so that when it fails... They may receive you into the eternal dwellings. In other words, we're to use our money wisely, not to bank it into our own use or for our own purposes, but to advance the kingdom of God in this age. In other words, God is saying, I am giving you all that you need for the church to flourish, for the gospel to be advanced, for the great commission to be done. These are the last days. Christ's return can be at any time. Judgment awaits, but we're using these last days for our own selfish purposes and for our own desires, 
not realizing that it could come today. It could come tomorrow. It can come soon. And where will those who do not know Christ be? So let me ask, are you advancing the kingdom of God with your last days? Or are you advancing your own? We always use that phrase, if you had X amount of days to live, how would you spend it? And obviously that we really don't really know, but most of us tend to think that we'd probably be less selfish. We spend more time with our family. We do so, you know, if a Christian, well, I would witness to all these people. We would do this and we do. Well, why do we wait until those last moments? It's like we're gospel kingdom procrastinators. Well, I know Christ is coming, but I'll wait till that last moment. As my feet are lifted up in the air going to the rapture, I'll be shouting down, hey, hey. It's too late. The Bible says today is the day of salvation. So how are you spending your time? James is warning these wealthy non-believers, this is the last days, and you are storing up the wrong thing. And I believe many of us are today. So there's judgment coming. And our heart and our things, our stuff, will be stacked up and be used as witnesses against us. So I want to share with you three sins of pursuing wealth that demand judgment. Why is it that pursuing wealth demands judgment? I want to give you three of them. First one we're going to see in verse 4, and that's cheating workers out of their wages, cheating workers out of their wages. He says, Behold, the wages of the laborers who mowed your fields, which you kept back by fraud, are crying out against you. And the cries of the harvester have reached the ears of the Lord of hosts. The Old Testament had much to say about this abhorrent practice. In Leviticus 19.13, the law says, You shall not oppress your neighbor or rob him. The wages of a hired worker shall not remain with you all night until the morning. In this case, he says, you're a robber, you're a thief. Now, we need to understand something about this time as we go on with several other verses. Take your Bible, by the way, as I'm sharing this with you. Turn to Deuteronomy chapter 24. But as you do that, hopefully you can still listen because I need to set up the context. Now, today, you and I, for most of us, we are probably played weekly, bi-weekly, Maybe even some of you, even monthly, or if you're a self-proprietor of a business, maybe you're paid in such a way as bills come in, so on and so forth. But most of us are used to being paid at certain types of increments, and we typically know what that is, and we budget our life accordingly. However, in the days that this is written, that is not the case. And there is no Costco, there are no Walmarts, there's no refrigerators and freezers, so they did not go down to a store and buy food and then store it up, and then when they were hungry, they grabbed it out of the freezer, defrosted it, and warmed it up and ate it. That's not how life worked in those days. In those days, they would work a day, and then they would, at the end of the day, they would get paid, they would take that money, go down to the market, and then they would buy the food that they would need for that day and the next day right then and there. That's all they had to do. There was no way to preserve it, so they would go and eat. So for a worker to come in, work a full day, and then not get paid means that he would go home 
without any substance to pay for his food. There was no credit, as you and I know of today, especially for the poor. There was no way to really get any other food other than either working for it or stealing it or being in such a way that you make it yourself. And so this was a very abhorrent practice is to really you would make someone go hungry. Look at Deuteronomy chapter 24. Look at verse 14. Again, in the law, it says, You shall not oppress a hired worker who is poor and needy, whether he is one of your brothers or one of the sojourners in your land. So whether he is an Israelite or someone who's just in your land, you shall not oppress him. You shall give him his wages on the same day before what? The sun sets. For he is poor and he counts on it, lest he cry against you to the Lord and you be guilty of sin. I don't know if you've ever had that time where you've ever worked a job where you were working and came down to payday and they said, hey, sorry, uh, we can't make payroll this month or this week. Can you wait a couple days? Now, some of you that are in business, you might understand this a little bit more. When someone goes, you do a job and they say, well, I'll, you know, what's that? I'll never get that right. What's that old Popeye, the, the, the burger guy? What did he used to say? I'll gladly pay you Tuesday for a hamburger today. Life doesn't work that way, does it? Here's what we're finding out is they are not taking care of their people. Malachi 3.5, God gives a greater judgment when he says, Then I will draw near to you for judgment. I will be a swift witness against the sorcerers, the adulterers, against those who swear falsely, against those who oppress the hired worker in their wages, the widows and the fatherless, and against those who thrust aside the sojourner and do not fear me. In this case, he says those who do not pay the workers are as guilty and as evil as the sorcerer and the adulterer. Very strong fighting words. See, God will judge those that oppress the honest worker. In other words, he's saying, do not pursue wealth in such a way that you cheat those that you owe. Now, for you and I, that could be simply those people that we may employ, if you're an employer. It could be for those that may rely on our payments, whether it's our paying our electricity bill, whether it's paying our gas bill, whether it's paying our gardeners or whatever, our monies pay that salary. And for you to withhold that money because of debt or using money for selfish purpose is keeping money from those down the stream. Now, it may not affect them like this here. Not many people go hungry, but I'll tell you, having the Friendly Center here, I know that there are many people that rely on daily food. They don't know where their next meal is coming from. Cheating workers, using your money for your own purposes, has a downstream effect on many. And to pursue wealth or to hold money and cheat others will face judgment. The second way that the sin of pursuing wealth that demands judgment is going to be found in verse 5. That's our second point. It's living a lifestyle of self-indulgence. Living a life of self-indulgement. That this one, I don't care where I shoot this arrow in here, this is going to land on somebody. Probably most of us. He says, you've lived on the earth in luxury and in self-indulgence. You have fattened your hearts in a day of slaughter. 
This reminds me of the parable of the rich man and Lazarus. Take your Bible once, once again and turn to Luke 16. And in here we see the parable of the rich man and Lazarus. And in verse 19, you'll see that there was a rich man who was clothed in purple and fine linen, who feasted sumptuously every day. And it says, And at his gate was laid a poor man named Lazarus, covered with swords, who desired to be fed with what fell from the rich man's table. Moreover, even the dogs came and licked his sores. And then we see that the poor man died and was carried by the angels to Abraham's side, what we would call paradise. The rich man also died that night, and he was buried. And in Hades, being in torment, he lifted up his eyes and saw Abraham afar off and Lazarus at his side. And he goes on and he calls out for mercy. He calls out for Lazarus to come and help him. But look at verse 25. But Abraham said, Child, remember that you in your lifetime received good things, and Lazarus in like manner bad things. But now he is comforted here, and you are in anguished. Living a life in self-indulgence does not guarantee you luxury in the afterlife. To pursue wealth, to pursue a life in self-indulgence could very well lead to judgment. Now, before many of you say, wait a second, I'm not from the Newport coast, I'm not from all the, you know, I'm not one of the rich housewives of Orange County or things of that nature, but I'd like to sign up type thing. Let's get a dose of reality. For those of us that are born Americans, that live in Orange County, we have a luxury that's unknown in the majority of the world. And I can go back to the city that we served in Freeport, which was a poor city. They lived in luxury. The poor today now have cell phones, refrigerators, microwaves, TVs, uh, laptops, and iPads. All the poor have those things. Well, I shouldn't say all. But the government's own statistics show that's the case. The federal level of poverty would mean luxury in any other country or many more countries. And so we must recognize, yes, we don't live indulgent in the fact that we are the lives of the rich and famous, but we live in luxury. You and I live lives of self-indulgence many, many times. And that's not to say that some of you are not struggling out there. That's not saying that some of you have some real big money problems and struggles that are not real and that are scaring you today and there's fear. But yet if we were to look at the totality of our lives, we're indulgent with our money. We seek to pursue our own happiness Again, it's not how much we make, it's how we think of our money. You've heard me say it many, many times again. And he's saying here, those of us, and those of them, that are living that type of self-indulgent lifestyle, he says you're like dumb sheep and cattle that are fed only so that they can be slaughtered because they're big 
and they're heavy. Some of us look like we're ready to be slaughtered at any moment because we're living our lives as if we are the only thing that matters. The Bible says there's judgment awaiting for those who have that mindset, whose heart is marked by self-indulgence. Let me tell you, that's not just with your money. That's with your time. That's with your faith. That's with all things. Are you sharing your faith? Are you sharing the gospel? Are you sharing your wealth? Are you sharing your time? Are you sharing your love with those who need it? Yes, even here in Orange County, there are people that we need to reach out to. In the United States, in the world, there is the gospel that needs to give, be given out. These are the last days. You can almost hear the footsteps of Christ as that time approaches. But we're so busy slathering ourselves with butter and everything else and just taking care of me. And let me tell you, you say, well, I'm a family man. I just take care of my family, and this is what I'm... That's me. That's me-centered. You can love your spouse and love your family, but many times it's about you. You can say, I'm all about my career, but it's about you. We need to understand that. We're living a lifestyle of indulgence. We have fattened our hearts in the day of slaughter. Then the third is taking advantage of the powerless taken advantage of the powerless. He says in verse 6, You have condemned and murdered the righteous person. He does not resist you. James accuses them of condemning and killing the righteous due to the persecution by economic oppression. Murder speaks of the practical outcomes of the actions of the wealthy. Because you're withholding withholding wages, because you're not sharing uh, and meeting the needs of others, the practical outcome is someone is going hungry. Someone is dying of starvation. And we must understand there's children who can be fed. There is water that needs to be done. There's those who are reaching an, a gospel, uh, an eternity without God because we're not sharing the gospel with others. We too are guilty of these things as they are. They are not paid, they do not eat. By not being generous, the poor go without either case, and they result in suffering. The followers of Christ in this, in this passage, they have no power or voice. They are powerless, unable to resist these powerful, wealthy employers. James is not only warning Christians not to follow this practice, and warning the wealthy of upcoming judgment, but he's also encouraging the Christians that justice is coming. You and I need to understand that justice is coming. Judgment is near. What we see here in James is that the gospel clashes against the materialistic, consumer-driven worldview that seeks to satisfy itself, disregarding the legitimate needs of others. It's not promoting a social gospel. It's not promoting a government welfare. But it's basically saying not to oppress those that work honestly. Look to the needs of others. In your attaining wealth, 
which there's nothing wrong in doing. It's good for us to invest. It's good for us to create wealth. But we must realize that creating our wealth is not so that we have a bigger piece of the pie, but so that we can be more generous with the pie that we have. Amen? Now, you may say, man, my pie, though, is just this big. Well, be generous with that pie. That piece of pie is not yours. God has given you even a sliver of that pie so that you may advance the kingdom. So do so. And do so cheerfully. For others who, whose slice of the pie is bigger, then be cheerfully, generously givers. And boy, if you got the whole pie, then cheerfully, generously give. Why? Because judgment awaits those whose hearts is pie-filled. And some of us are going to stand before God with apples all around our face and crumbs on our tummies and saying, who, me? Because both forks are going at it. Why don't we get this? For many of us, we're going to walk away. We're going to say, good message. He was entertaining. He kept me awake. And you're, not even, you're going to walk off and you're not even going to care. It's not going to make one difference in your life. So let me ask you, how will you respond to the Word of God? Yes, yeah, some of my opinion was in here. So may the Holy Spirit give you discernment to wipe away those things that are just my human opinion. God's Word is clear. The last days are here. Our self-indulgent our pursuit of wealth for our own needs will stand against us. I'd rather be a poor man who stands right before God than a rich man who stands in judgment. How about you? Let me end it with this, though. This does bring up some questions for us to ask. What do you do with your money? your time, your abilities. What do you use it for? What do you do with it? What's its purpose? Let me ask you, when do you have too much? How much is where you say, I'm satisfied? Or are you like a tapeworm that just continually eats and eats and continues to go on with never being satisfied? How much is too much? How much do you and your family truly need to live on to where you can say, I want to be a generous, cheerful giver? How do you get your money? How do you get your wealth? By oppression? By cheating on your taxes? By cutting corners? Whether legal or not? And does it how it affect how you treat others? Do you see others that have what you want in a better light and treat them better because you know that they are the ways to which you can get what they have? Do you see others below you as parasites who just need to buck up and get on their own? Or do you see them as people in need and God-given opportunities to love your neighbor? I'd like for you to take that and make that your lunch dinner discussion today and this week. 
But let me also give you some words of encouragement, words of challenge. If what James wrote here describes you, if you're one of those people that are living a self-indulgent, very oppressive, oppressing others, seeking wealth at all costs, let me tell you this. You need to confess and repent of this behavior, this hard attitude. You need to turn from trusting in money and turn and trust towards God. And then you need to make amends like Zacchaeus if you need to. If you have taken from others when you should not have, if you have stolen, if you have robbed, if you have oppressed, then you need to make amends for that. But also, what to do if you are oppressed? Maybe you're one of those people that has that guy as your employer. Maybe that type of person in your life. Let me share with you this. First, forgive them. Pray for them. Continue to work hard and honestly. Resist all anger, bitterness, and resentment. And patiently, patiently wait for the judgment of God. For vengeance is mine, saith the Lord. Do not allow that type of attitude and that type of sin to allow Satan to get a foothold in your own life. And let me tell you, this does not mean that we cannot take advantage of secular legal remedies. If you truly are being oppressed, if you're truly being cheated out of wages, if you're truly finding yourself in need, then seek the remedies that, good, that the law has. Seek the help that you need. I would challenge you this morning. Judgment awaits. We are in those last days. What will you pursue? Father, give us wisdom to understand this. Help us to know the, the power of your word. Lord, help us to realize that we are in these last days. Father, one day we will stand before you and give account of all that we've done with all that you have given us. And Father, I pray that we would be found faithful. But Father, many of us, even if we were faithful, we are still going to find ourselves struggling with these types of heart desires. Convict us of it. Help us to see the desires that are there that are evil. Let us confess and repent of them. And Father, I thank you for your gospel, Lord, that speaks to this and the fact that we need to turn from you for we cannot trust in riches. Lord, give us cheerful, generous hearts. Help us to see that you've given all things to us so that we may advance your kingdom. Lord, let us do that today. Make that our commitment. We pray this in your name. God's people said, Amen. We hope you have enjoyed this week's Walking in Faith podcast. We encourage you to share this podcast with others in order to help spread God's message to all those in need. If you have any questions or comments, we would love to hear from you. Email us at walkinginfaith at orangevilla.org. You can help us spread this podcast by writing a review at iTunes. And don't forget to visit us online at orangevilla.org. There you will find more information about our ministry, as well as share your thoughts, submit prayer requests, and find out how you can help others to grow in God's love. Until next week, may God bless you in everything you do.